things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta give doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Yo, grace and peace, guys. Welcome back to an episode of All Things Theology, where I'm your host, K-Dub. And today, I'm going to be having a discussion with a homosexual Christian. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Before we get to that, make sure you like this video, subscribe to this channel, and as always, click that notification bell so you can be aware when I drop content. Yes, I'm actually going to be uploading this pre-recorded discussion I had with a person who calls himself a homosexual Christian. We get into the text, we discuss these issues. So without further ado, enjoy the video. Uh, how about you introduce yourself to to my my platform, to, to my guests? How about that? Yeah, for sure. So hello, everyone. Um, I'm assuming uh, most people viewing this are, uh, I would think Christian evangelical is maybe the right way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So my name is Connor. Uh, I am a medical student in Detroit. And I uh, grew up in Christian evangelicalism um, uh, more heavily than you would think. <laughs> um, my grandpa actually ran all of Chuck Colson's ministries for 15 years. If you know who that is. Um, so, yeah, so I grew up in the evangelical church. And I don't use the term myself anymore, but it's not really like I left. I'm part of the ACNA, which is an evangelical denomination, uh, the Anglican Church of North America. Hmm. Um and so, yeah, I'm just, I, I should have, I'm also gay. I'm sorry. <laughs> we left that out. Uh, I don't know when we started recording. Yeah. yeah that's that's what, the whole reason I'm here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why we're here, right? That's the elephant in the room, right? And so we had, we had some uh, interesting exchanges on Twitter. Uh, that's just to let everybody know on my podcast. That's how me and Connor met. And let me, let me say this, Connor, that I appreciate you even coming on to my podcast. I, I, man, maybe you would agree with this sentiment. Maybe this will be, you know, some foundation we can stand on that. I think conversations like this are important. I try to have people on my podcast where we don't see eye to eye, but let, we, let's let's talk about some of these things, right? Uh, I think sometimes it's it's just so much of staying in our corner echo chamber, and we never actually talk. And sometimes there's more disagreement than we think. Yeah, sometimes there's actually... <laughs> Uh, or sorry, sorry. Sometimes there's less disagreement than we think, and then sometimes there's actually more. But if we don't talk about it, we we can't even, you know, come to some kind of even man healthy respect for someone. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I have very little um, social media experience. I got Twitter. It says I got it like a year ago. The reason for that is I won an award in medical school and they only posted on Twitter and I was offended. <laughs> so I got an account just to see my own like news report of yeah. the award I won and That's then never funny. touched it again. But essentially <laughs> I started using it four weeks or five weeks ago. Uh, and I was just connecting with random uh, evangelical uh, queer people. Uh, I know I recently I heard people don't like that word now which I'm sorry. For those who don't know, it's a positive term amongst LGBTQ people as a vague, all-encompassing reference, an inclusive reference. Right. So I apologize. I hope that doesn't turn anyone off. No, that's, Anyways. that's fine here. Uh, so let's... We are evangelicals. Yeah, and then yeah. I came across how like vitriolic it could get because like, no offense to those uh, who are um, uh, evangelical of a... a should we say side B? Is that fair to say? Do your, do your sure, I'll, I'll accept that terminology for now. 
Okay, well, well, we can address that later. But yeah, for yeah, the yeah. intro, we'll go. So, so <laughs> there are some side B evangelicals that can be. This is not any. This is a very small minority. Sure, can be a little, tr- little trolly on Twitter, a little sure. trolly. Sure. <laughs> and uh, that's Twitter. Started, that's social media. <laughs> right. Anyways, I just happened to have one very early on come after me, and I was a little shocked. And I realized I kind of like de-escalated him with kindness. <laughs> And I was like, huh, kind of a spiritual moment. I was like, should try that more often. Um, anyway, so I feel like that's kind of how we got here in the sense that I, I kept engaging people I disagreed with. And then you were, I guess, the one that was more interesting than most, more educated than most. So yeah. that's how we're here. Well, I, well, I appreciate that. Uh, like I said, I, I'll, I'll let you know. So um, I have come to the position that I've come to because I... I I, I, one thing I'm big on is trying to be consistent, right? Um, with Jesus teachings, uh, the Bible as a whole, uh, teaching on the issue and, and maybe we can start off here. So, um, I just don't see how one can read the Bible as an organic whole and come to the position that one could be, um, homosexual, right? Um, that it is, uh, permissible at least, uh, I do think there can be issues where a Christian could struggle with that sin, right? Uh, Christians could struggle with all various kinds of sin, but to identify as something that God has, um, you know, condemned or at the very least stated, man shouldn't this uh, man should not uh, pursue this lifestyle, right? Um, that's not to say that the alternative is, uh, you know, being in a heterosexual marriage right there are some people who may not desire marriage so because i've often heard well so are you just telling people to be straight well not necessarily if if that means they need to pursue a marriage you know what i mean so i think there can be uh abnormalities where people don't actually desire marriage they just have a life of singleness but i I do think those are rarities but back to my uh, original statement i believe the bible explicitly teaches you know that it is a sin and it's a sin that we should uh, not pursue. And, and maybe we can get into some particular text here in a second, but I'll allow you to respond or state something, you know, to that or, or your position, you know, go ahead. Yeah. So I, the reason I'll say up front um, that I kind of agreed to come on was, I guess, several, mostly twofold. But the first and most important was, um, that I think what's missing uh, in the church is the humanization of LGBTQ people. And I think there is just, you know, I'm not here to convince your viewers of anything, frankly. They're wonderful people. I just don't think it's, it's a compliment to them that I don't think I necessarily have the chops to sway any of them. Uh, what I do think I have is uh, a personal life experience to add color and I know that like makes people uncomfortable because we're supposed to be like dogmatic I'm not trying to make things wishy-washy what I am trying to say is um that me saying I'm gay is really just kind of a state of existence it's not particularly a choice and it's not particularly an activity uh I think people in our culture have come to we'll stick with gay for now I know it gets complex with other things um People like uh, assume, I think, at least I'll, I'll speak from my experience. Again, I grew up in conservative evangelicalism until literally I still am in conservative evangelicalism. For those who don't know, 
the ACNA, my denomination, literally exists because they disagreed with the Episcopalian acceptance of gay people. <laughs> I literally am in a denomination that solely exists because they wanted to be follow the conservative view that you follow. How, how does that work? How does, with you being in it, like, I'm just curious at this point now. Uh, well, for one thing, like, not to get too TMI, uh, <laughs> I, I'm a celibate gay man. So, like, I get a pass for a lot of things because gotcha. of that. Gotcha. Um, because I think the ACNA recognizes, and I don't actually know this on paper, so I shouldn't say that. I think many conservative denominations recognize that being gay is, like, really not a choice. What you do with that is a choice uh, but we need to humanize people like me because people like me are just kids who got to 13 and realized their first high school crush was a guy. Like this wasn't, uh, this is not some enormously depraved life experience. Uh, I literally was the sweet Christian homeschool kid who ran the children's library. Like, <laughs> not joking. Uh, I ran the VBS. I helped run the various like international mission trips. When I was 16, I was running VBSs across Southern Europe, like with evangelicals around the world. Um, yeah, I was the kid that like the other conservative Christian moms looked at my mom and was like, why can't my 14 year old son be like Connor? Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so like, we can have a very valid biblical discussion about should I get to date or marry a man? Very valid biblical discussion. I think there's a less valid biblical discussion about is it, and we'll get into why in a second, uh, is it really sinful? Can you really look at a, at a person like me, like 14-year-old version of me, and be like, your fundamental attraction setup uh, needs to be like perpetually repented of? And the reason I bring that up is because I think people just automatically equate any and all heterosexual attraction to lust, which is really kind of shallow. Um, maybe that's too pejorative. I'm trying not to be pejorative. I think I, 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 I think I get what you're saying, and I would agree. Not all attraction, you know, male to female, is sin. Um, and it's, I think it, I would also want to point out because way too, uh, so many people in theological spaces are frankly heterosexual men, and that's I don't mean, mean that in a negative way. But my life experience is that like heterosexual men just have significantly higher sex drives and sexual experiences of life than like literally everyone else. <laughs> like like gay men are much closer to like straight women. Like I'm 26 <laughs> years old, dude. I've never slept with someone never gotten close, never wanted to get close. <laughs> like, and I think a lot of straight men from my experience of hanging out with and talking with them, that's just like bizarre. <laughs> so, so I with, think it's weird. With that said, uh, kind of on that, uh, what, so why would you call yourself gay then? Oh, because the only people I'm attracted to are exclusively men. Okay. So the, it's, it's the attraction for you. Yeah. Okay. So like the, dealing with the desires right is for for men right right okay i guess what i'm saying is like i've had two serious one was a relationship i have technically had a boyfriend but it was like a super cute christian relationship where like you know we held hands like once and then i freaked out that i shouldn't be doing that 
Um, so it's not boyfriend like the secular world thinks of. We didn't live together or anything. <laughs> I went to Wheaton College. Okay. For those who know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very repressed dating scene, regardless of orientation. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. This is my fault. This is exam day at the med school, so just for your viewers. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll cut you I'm some not slack. This crazy. <laughs> so, so since we're not necessarily dealing with, um, although I think there could be some discussion about it later about the act of homosexuality, you, you, we're more so right now arguing for the desire itself, right? The the identity. Yeah, you... and I what I would say is so there are six texts in scripture that in any way reference homosexuality. And I like to break it. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a scholar do this, but in my mind, I appreciate breaking into there's two story texts and there are four uh, dictative texts. So the story text, uh, and I, I apologize, the one I can never remember the exact reference of is Sodom. I think it's Genesis 18. Your viewers will fact check me. It's in the teens. Um, I think it's and then the 19. second story text would be Romans 1. Uh, I consider that much more narrative. It obviously has a, a moral dictation to it, but it but it is this very much a storyline. There's a picture being painted, hmm. uh, and then the four dictative texts are Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. Um, damn, I'm gonna forget the Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians six. Thank you, and then First Timothy, uh, three. Yeah, I believe so. I think. Yeah. That's funny um, you consider Romans one more of a story because I actually considered a, a dictation. It's a oh no, I'm I'm not trying to say it doesn't have dictative value, but I mean it okay. goes on for like twenty some verses, like it's yeah. very much painting an image. Yeah. Um. And that's uh, actually anyway. that that's actually the passage I would go to the to show that the desire itself is wrong because Paul spends a lot of time dealing with the z- desire even before he gets to the act itself. Um. I don't know if you wanted to go to a specific, that that verse or that text to, to you know to demonstrate what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I'll I'll do that. Yeah, I'm familiar with the text. I mean, I don't know how your podcast works. If you typically um, like to read it aloud, that's fine with me. I don't I don't have my Bible right physically next to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll read it aloud. Um, go for it. Yeah. So, in Romans one, um, Paul, you know, after talking about the righteous shall live by faith. He goes on to speak about the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness against have, uh, you know, unrighteousness of men. So he really delves into this, uh, the sinfulness of man. And he really continued this all the way up until like Romans three twenty three, where Paul is just uh, going in on uh, man's sinfulness and, and, in numerous ways. And that's really highlighted here. Um, but, and, but at verse uh, 121, he really gets into the idolatry of man. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul's really saying uh, because they did not honor God, they automatically were idolaters, right? The, it's It's either honoring God or idolatry, right? Those are that's that's really what's on. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground of not one of those. Right. And so Paul continues on in verse 24 and, and notice the language uh, as as I read 
uh, verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So this is dealing with the desire. Before we get to the act, lust is something of a desire. I mean, in the Hebrew, lust. It's a desi- disordered desire. Yeah, a- absolutely. Lewis a- talks about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an unnatural disorder or not unnatural desire uh, it, being, descri- mm, being described. Uh, most, theolo- most theologians would describe it a disordered of uh, people will hate this, but this is from the Victorian theologians, a disorder of incontinence, which used, used to mean uh, lack of control of one's semen. A disorder, it's a disorder of excess, but continue. Sorry. Well, I would, I would disagree that it's a matter of excess, but we'll, we'll, we'll we can discuss that. Um, he says, God, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, notice the reason why this is, this is happening because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than, than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, verse 26 and 27 are the last two verses that I'll read here. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So again, dealing with this, this issue of desire for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with men and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. So uh, many commentators, many scholars have uh, obviously conservative ones would would see this text as that that the exchange that Paul has actually talked about um, uh, in verse 23. Paul gives an example of that in homosexuality. That's one way man exchanges. the glory of the mortal God, right? By committing uh, shameless acts, uh, homosexuality is one way how man exchanges, even in the natural order. Um, men committing, you know, homosexual acts uh, with men, and vice versa, women as well. Uh, lesbianism as well um, is also described there as well. And so, but it first starts with the desires, as is mentioned in verse twenty-four, and so. This is one of the texts that I would go to to see. So not only the act, but the desire itself. And, you know, Jesus also speaks about um, not necessarily a, a homosexuality, although I would say application when he talks about adultery. It actually stems in the heart long before you commit the act with a female. Um, you know, it's it's something that's actually, you know, stirring up inside you in the heart long before the act comes about. And that and I would say uh that as well. I, I don't know. I, sorry, I said a lot right there, but <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was rambling just a second ago. I think it's going to be the I think it's going to be the theme. We're re- for the viewers. We're recording this late. Um, uh, no, you're totally good. So I'll uh, I want to say one kind of thing to preface uh, this. First of all, I want to say thank you to you and everyone watching because I think what's happening and what's going to happen is very important and isn't happening enough these days, which is we are two people who fundamentally disagree on the hermeneutic and exegesis of this text. I'm going to guess, I think fairly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And what I want to encourage everyone listening is to understand that uh, to in your heart, try and embrace that regardless of one's interpretation of this, that there are good faith, uh christians on both sides who whether 
it's comfortable to you or not, our names are yet in the book of life. Um, there are, frankly, uh, excellent theologians of all persuasions on the text we're going to discuss who are of the most committed uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And so whatever anyone listening to this takes away, I hope it's to understand that there is um, diversity of understanding in the church that doesn't need us to get hot-headed um, the way we often do in other platforms and settings. Let, let me say um, this. I, I definitely agree with that last statement. I, I just want to be as, hopefully we can both be as honest, but as respectful as uh, possible, right? Hope I think we can. I think we've already kind of even demonstrated our honesty, but yet level of respect for one another. Um, it is my position that the Bible does not teach that one can live a rebellious lifestyle like homosexuality and as well adultery and still be considered a Christian. Um, there's a text that I can go to to demonstrate that here in a second. But I, I just want I just wanted to lay that out there just to let you know that is my position. And I understand you have your position as well. And so and but we can discuss that. But I know I said a lot about Romans one that. Yeah, I wanted to say. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So Romans one and then going and I already forgot what you said it was in Genesis, but the text in, in Genesis uh, as being kind of the two lengthier, as I would call. And, and when I say story text, I don't mean that in to diminish their um, dictative value. I want I understand. viewers to know that I'm not. <laughs> but uh, just because, again, they're painting pictures. Um, I think it's important to look at what picture is being painted and see, does it reflect the situation at hand? So situation at hand, you can look at my life. You can look at other people's life. What in, so my first crush was like 14, 14. What in the life of like 14 year old me, like volunteering three nights a week in the church and leading like small groups and VBSs would have put me in rebellion against God that I was given over to the lie of, of I mean, I forget the exact text. Like, I, I think we can agree that whether or not we come to an agreement on the text itself, that that's kind of funny. Like it's a little laughable. Why would to it look be? At the four, what what did the fourteen year old baptized teenager vo church volunteer do that made God surrender him over to to <laughs> gayness? If if that's really how we think it works, yeah. If that's I, how I, we interpret Romans one, I, I think the I think the text is clear. Um, now there could be obviously there could be uh, ultimately. The text says it's because oh, yeah, of my I, ESV. I apologize. No, hey, I got Keep the going. ESV. I got the ESV up as well. So we're we're using the same translation. That that's good. Um, the the text says they did not honor God. So that can that can have many, uh, I guess, applications and how that looks. Um, so I don't know specifically for you, and I'm not trying to self analyze how that looked for you or any other homosexual, but based on the text, this is, that's what it says. Now, how the application of that, I don't know. Right. But this is what the text says. Right. So I, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you and say, well, see, you, well, I, you didn't I honor your parents. No, no, no. And so <laughs> I, I, I invited the psychoanalysis. This yeah. is, you don't need to apologize. Um, 
So what I would say, first of all, and part of the reason I'm here is for those who don't have enough gay friends, first of all, I recommend we have many skills. Second of all, <laughs> um, if you talk to us, I would say the majority would say we identified our gay attraction or recognized it existed. And first of all, very few of us were thrilled with that discovery, particularly those of us growing up in the pews of conservative evangelicalism. Um, it's around, you know, it's essentially a puberty, right? Like that's essentially when this happens. Um, and so you just kind of have to ask yourself when you read through this passage, I think, I think it's, I think it's required of every reader to ask yourself, does this feel like it's describing a bunch of 13, 14 year olds, um, going through life? I would, I think it's a fair question. I would answer that real quick. Uh, I, yeah, I would, yeah, that it's. It seems to be descriptive of every person who commits homosexuality or the desire, because it's it's not age restricted. No, I know I understand, but if you read the text, it sounds that what is happening is there are people who are in going about their regular lives in a state of such rebellion that God gives them up onto this desire. Yeah, I, uh, I, that, that that they're living in profound sin and rebelling against god denial of his deity and uh therefore he gives up onto them uh this desire yeah uh, i agree totally with that I, well cool. my, i would say why couldn't that happen at 13 14 there's nothing exclusive but i'm just right. asking you i'm asking your listeners to just i think we have to ask ourselves the question that's fair not offering i'm not offering an answer just throwing it out there the reason I throw it out there is because I think that, frankly, that is an ill-fitted uh, reading. I think it le- I think it's like putting in, forcing a puzzle piece into a spot it doesn't quite fit. And the reason I say that is I think it's important to understand the context in which Paul is writing culturally of where he would see homosexuality. Homosexuality. I will not try and dictate with some perfect knowledge as to how it completely existed in the ancient world, but the way it would have existed that Paul would have been familiar with the way it would have been visible in any sense was as a side hobby of sexual excess of the wealthy. These were people who would have had extra concubines that would have been of the same sex. They would have typically been slaves. They would have typically been significantly younger than the person using them. And these would have typically been people who would have arguably, in modern terminology, been straight. They would have had wives, wife or multiple wives. And they would have had on the side young boys that they were using. Same thing with wealthy women. They might have had handmaids that they were sleeping with. They would have had other forms of sexual outlet in a form of excess. And I think it's important and shouldn't be lost in us. The two narrative demonstrations of homosexuality in scripture are both demonstrations of what are clearly straight oriented into, well, clearly in Genesis, not so clearly in Romans. Well, no, clearly in Romans, because it sounds like they're coming from a straight orientation into something else, are people who are of an inclination to heterosexual sex, who out of a uncontrolled sexual lust and passion enter into newer and more divergent forms. I think it's worth acknowledging that that seems to be evident, at least in Sodom's story, 
and certainly in the narrative here. And then also an understanding of what the ancient world looked like in terms of homosexual expression. It was typically just a way that it was just an activity that wealthy people did because they just wanted to achieve orgasm more frequently with <laughs> new ways, <laughs> which is disgusting, but that's essentially what it, what we see. I mean, like that's where the word lesbian comes from. It's the island of Lesbos where there was the, the imperial palace uh, in the Mediterranean where some of the emperors and the, you know uh, would go and where famously wealthy women slept together. So, so, so I just, just want to make sure I'm hearing correctly. Are are you saying that uh, the act that Paul is condi- you would see Romans one as a condemnation of something, correct? Yeah, okay. of sexual access. Okay, so if you're you know married and you're pursuing a homosexual relationship, that would be obviously wrong, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. But if you're just pursuing a sexual re- or relationship with a male, that's okay? I'm not going to go that far. What I want to point out is that the underlying sin here and what gets people... What's the right way of saying this? I disagree that both of these texts' core purpose is to condemn a young child whose only sexual attraction is to the same sex. What about an adult male like you now? Oh, that I, I think the same holds. Like, I just think it's a little absurd to look at these texts that are clearly about unbridled sexual lust and act like they apply. Like, how many 26-year-old virgins do you know in the church, Chris? There's yeah, not, not a lot. Not <laughs> like it's a little weird but, to be like, you know who this just, you know who this reminds us of, the virgin in the room. <laughs> like, like I don't know. Like it's just. Do you see it any? Seems not doesn't seem to fit. So, I, I think I established that Paul, even before getting to the act, clearly is dealing with the the motive, the desire, uh, the but heart. What is the des- but what is the heart? That's what I'm yeah. trying to get your viewers to ask. Is the heart the simple existence of same-sex attraction, or is it unbridled sexual desire? I I would definitely which, go Which in the ancient world would have been something that looked like significant heterosexual expression with added, I guess, kinkiness of homosexual interaction. I mean, I, I think both are condemned in the passage because um, he does deal okay, with he does fine. he does deal with the act. Absolutely, you're you're not wrong to say he doesn't deal with the act. Um, so obviously what you're referring to absolutely is condemned in Romans one, but even before he gets to the act, he deals with the desire itself, the desire itself, Paul calls dishonorable. It's a dishonorable passion. But but what desire? Yes. The desire for, um, uh, what he, what he calls natural relations between man and woman. That's the act that's being condemned in Romans one, 27 and 28. The, des- the desire for a male to pursue a desire with another male or vice versa, woman to woman, is the act that's being condemned in Romans 1. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I this- just want to be clear to everyone that I, I don't want to make it sound like to our viewers, Chris is not, he's not misleading anyone. But I, I do want to point out importantly 
that uh, the way that Paul actually structures the, the, the Greek of the text and both, and it's represented in the ESV as well as most translations I'm aware of, uh, is he doesn't technically name the dishonorable passions. He actually ends the sentence at dishonorable passions. Uh, and then he goes on to describe very vaguely uh, the concept of uh, women giving up heterosexual union and men giving up heterosexual union. Uh, again, most, uh, you could say, respond in a moment. Uh, sorry. No, no, to me. no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, which is why many scholars, both actually conservative and, and um, uh, affirming, yeah. I was looking for the word, sorry, um, would uh, describe this as him describing sexual excess, that it's showing people who are coming out of a heterosexual lifestyle and adding on to it um, to satisfy an unbridled lust. But go ahead. I'm sorry. That was way too long. No, uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah. So he does in the sentence. Absolutely. Uh, you know, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And so what Paul is doing, he's explaining one thing after another. So verse 26 starts with the four, right? It's an explanation of what he said previously, where he's talked about idolatry. So, but then he, that sentence is actually explained by the next sentence four, right? So many, you know, the common joke goes, whenever you see a four, you got to ask what it's there for. Right. Um, so that's, that's what Paul is doing. He's actually explaining, he goes on to explain the dishonorable passion and the reason why the, 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 the explanation of the dishonorable passion is women exchanging their natural relations for that which is contrary, um, it's it's w woman to woman and then man to man. Absolutely, uh, that's that's why he says, um, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with men, women, and were consumed with passion for one another. Some some translations even say they burned with passion. Like it's it's clearly a a uh, you know a intimate uh, you know language of uh, attraction and 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 even the act itself. Um, is being described here. I, I don't think it's really debatable that this act is the, the desire is of uh, male to male, woman to woman is being condemned right here in the text. Um, and, and then Paul goes on to call that shameless acts. I, I, I don't I don't see in the text where um, obviously I, 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 I agree that it's wrong because I'm saying that the act itself is wrong. So it would include access as well. But I don't see how it's only describing that like access, but not just, you know, even the one to one, uh, you know, um, relationship, you know, committed monogamous relationship uh, that, that, that if what I'm saying is true, it, it also would include the access as well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 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 of course. So I think at this point for, for productivity's sake, it's I think we should just acknowledge kind of uh, we're not going to agree on this, but. Uh, I think you've established what your point is. Uh, and my point being it, it, that the scholars who are both affirming, and again, some conservative who don't like the way this text gets applied always, would point to the way that 20, verse 26 is phrased and cut off, and then point to verse 27's unique language regarding consumption of passion and shamelessness to point to the core issue being unbridled sexual appetite understandable that not everyone sees it that way uh, but those right. are essentially the two views at play for the viewers um one reason i would point that out 
and I'd love to hear your response to this, but what's interesting, there's only really one text of the six that gets self-interpreted by scripture. It's the text on Sodom. It's self-interpreted by Ezekiel and it's self-interpreted by, I want to say Isaiah and one more minor prophet. I'm going to blank now. Uh, not one of the three interpretations uh, by the prophets addresses the homosexuality issue at all. They address issues of mistreatment of immigrants. They address issues of unbridled appetite, essentially. I think that's Ezekiel. And I'm forgetting the third one. I think it's just lack of justice. There's a vague like lack of justice theme in one of the minor prophets, um, which, you know, gang rape definitely qualifies as a lack of justice. Um, so I think that's worth noting that like the actual simple idea of same-sex same attraction is not the focus in the subsequent prophetic interpretations of the Genesis text, even though it's obvious that's what they're asking for. Uh, I mean, no one's going to debate that. They asked to, to rape male angels. So <laughs> I'm not right. going to pretend like that's not <laughs> happening. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say because they, they already believe that, but there, there is another text which gets to the, uh, the the act itself or 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 i would i would argue that i i'd be curious to hear your your understanding of this text uh uh you and you already alluded to it uh first corinthians 6 uh verse 9 i'll read it real quick just for for our listeners it mm -hmm. says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And I think there's actually a strong argument from the Greek here that I'll bring up here in a second. Uh, but just to mm -hmm. continue on, it says, nor thieves, nor the nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but this is the the beauty of this as well. It's such worse some of you. Uh, you know, and, and it seems to include all of what he mentioned before, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so I would, I would see this as well as describing the act as well as the desires. And I, cause I, I believe that's what it's taught. I believe what it's, uh, it's condemning all those acts and desires. It's, it's not just wrong to commit thievery. It's wrong to desire your neighbor's stuff. Right. It's not just wrong to commit the act of adultery. It's wrong to desire a woman in a sexual manner in your heart. And you can apply all of those. And so I don't see it just saying all those about everything besides homosexuality. That would that would that would actually be a strange argument that that Paul would be like, well, well, I'm not saying homosexual desire is wrong, but all the rest of these would be that, that would that would be more of a strange, um, strange argument. You know what I mean? Not necessarily, because they're just trying to say it would be the same thing as the fact that Paul doesn't say that heterosexual desire is wrong if they're both single. I don't think you're going to find any yeah, faithful that's... Uh, Christian who thinks that uh, it's okay for, like, say, if uh, you're a gay person who happened to have acquired a wife for reasons that happens. We know that happens. Uh, your uh, attraction to a man in that case is, is most certainly sinful. You've... Uh, said vows before God to a woman um, who you're married to. I should be careful because I have friends who have done that and they're going to be mad at me, but you marry you... someone, you marry someone. <laughs> yeah, but there there seems to be no qualification like 
Paul doesn't give that qualification or explanation. It's like, well, what I'm talking about when I mention homosexuality is if you're married. That that, I, right. that, well, that never need, is given right. throughout any time. No, I understand, but we need to back up for two reasons here. Uh, because in Corinthians and Timothy, we have a problem, which for the viewers is uh, Paul makes up a word. That's right. So, the Greek word, yeah, that's not a word, just to be clear. Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's his made-up word. Yeah, so that's one of the problems we have in exegesis, and I think we can be fair uh, to everyone out there, regardless of your opinions on these texts in the end, that I think it's acceptable that there are Christians who are still Christians who have differing views when the author literally started making up words. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> so, yeah, but but it's not a word that's debatable from every... I, I don't know any scholar who denies what Arsene Coites means, and it's... The oh, my goodness. Are you serious? There are yeah. whole books debating it. Yeah, so the, the term... Literally, Arsene, right, man, uh, Coitai, bed... Uh, Man bed, that yeah. means it's it's Paul is uh, talking about men lying in the bed with each other. And it's in a, it's in a sexual context. Um, also, another word that's used. Uh, let me pull that up. You're thinking of Malakoy. That's right. And so, yeah, uh, Malakoy is by far the word that is more favorable for my persuasion, dude, just because traditionally Malakoy, as used in ancient texts predating Paul, is not even a sexual word. Well, uh, mm, I, I, I would it technically in, in Koine Greek, it for the viewers to be strict, and then I'll let you respond. The strict, uh, it means soft, is right. what it means in Koine Greek. Yeah. And so in the context, it seems Paul's argument is that this is the uh, passive partner and Arsene Coites refers to the uh, the dominant partner in the relationship. Th th these 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 are seeming they seem to be uh, alluding to a sexual context um, in, in the discussion. Um, I want to push back there okay. simply because a significant number of for a lot of history, English translation of particularly Malakoy. So first of all, I want to be fair. I want to sound wishy-washy. English translation of, and I'm going to mispronounce it because I, Arsene English translation of Arsene of that one has always uh, translated it as referring to homosexual behavior, always. So I'm not going to sit here and debate that. I'm not going to like try and gaslight you guys. Uh, but it is important to know that Malakoy has not always been translated that way in English to refer to sexual relations at all, and not even necessarily homosexual relations, particularly because, as I point out, it technically means soft in Koine Greek. It was not even used as a sexual term at the time in history, in many cases. Uh, it was often used to refer to men who were seen as like failing in their duty to their essentially their role to their family is kind of like how Paul condemns like essentially like laziness, weak men who like aren't like providing type of thing. Um, you know, like he who does not work shall not eat type of idea. Um, there are English translations from like the Victorian area that described it as uh, weak, effeminate, cowardly. Like it wasn't always sexual. So I think that should be pointed out. I think Malakoy is just a weird word for Paul to use in a sexual context if that's what he was trying to do because it wasn't clearly that. But I think it's worth looking at Arsene Coite because I think it's clear that Paul means that it's a sexual word. And I think we can come to agreement here, uh, or at least much more agreement here. 
So for the viewers, uh, we already discussed arson meaning male, coitus meaning bed. And Paul's grabbing those words from Leviticus 20. Uh, he's grabbing those uh, words out of the Greek translation of the Torah, which would not have been the Septuagint. This, uh, that, yeah, that's the Septuagint. Is it? Because yeah. I always get my dates wrong. The, is Septuagint, it the Septuagint is yet? Yes, yeah, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Well, I understand that, but it's a specific Greek translation, and I'm not sure if it's happened yet in history. Yeah, because yeah, history is so off. What what do you mean has it happened by history? Like you mean at the point of Paul's writing? Yes, because there were there were earlier Greek translations. Yeah, so I, I would say it has already happened because there's a text I, I can find it here in a second where Jesus actually quotes from the Septuagint in one of the uh, Gospels. So, okay, yeah, I'll I'll buy it. I'm, I apologize to the viewers. No, you're I'd spend too long. No problem. Um, it's it's in the range. We'll go with Septuagint. It doesn't really matter to me. Also, okay. if you don't know. The story of the Septuagint is kind of dope. Um, it's kind of cool. Just like Google how it was translated. Uh, anyway, so back to Arsene Coyde. He, I, I, I want to be kinder to Paul than I've been so far. He doesn't make up a word. Uh, like, as we said, the, the <laughs> roots of what he's getting are clear. And he's grabbing those words from the Septuagint's translation of Leviticus 20 regarding homosexual relationships. So I think I'm talking too long. But no, hey, you're good. That word, that word we know what we're doing with so we know paul is making a clear reference to the torah's understanding of men sleeping with men presumably uh and uh he has a problem with it are we good so far did we agree or did i say something yeah i I think we agree that but that's why so so the i maybe i heard you wrong but it seems like you admitted that Paul condemns the act of sleeping together with man to man is a sin or he it's condemned. I think that's the language you use, which obviously is a sin if it's condemned, but what was that what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons I haven't had sex with men. <laughs> okay. Wow, I will you say, blew you blew me away with that. Vote. I, I I honest was was not expecting that. Uh, I'm be, more nuanced than you give me credit for. <laughs> so if if the act is is wrong, then why would not the desire for the act be wrong, or the relationship? Again, because of what it would have looked like at that time, it would have been something that was served no purpose. It would have just been a fetishistic form of sexual excess there there was no existence or point in the ancient world of a sustained relationship with someone of the same sex it would have just been your way of getting off uh with your wealth so Uh, so i don't i don't say that to justify me having sex in the 21st century with a man but i'm just saying that like the activity that's being described and the desire for the activity like it's kind of the equivalent of just going to a strip club. Like it's just like they so, it would I think I get ahead. what you, I think I get what you're saying. So I'm not speaking about the access. Obviously, we both agree there. I'm saying the one-to-one monogamous relationship with the man to male. Paul grabs from Leviticus, right? Uh 18 and 20, uh, to condemn man to man relationships, right? Arson acoites, man lying with man mm-hmm. in a bed together. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Right. And so 
not so not the right strip club version, the fetish, right? The all that, right? We know that's we would agree 100% there. But the one to one, right? He neither of them are married to a trying to be straight, living this double lifestyle so to speak. But it seems like Paul's condemning even the version that I'm talking about, the one to one monogamous relationship. Except I think what has to be fair to say is that Paul doesn't know what that is. That doesn't exist in Paul's world. There was not. But but that's what I'm saying. He he gets to the desire itself. And again, we have to. Okay, fair enough. So I just don't want your viewers to think I'm like going in circles in bad faith because that's not no, my my no. goal. I, um, let, me, let me say this about everybody watching. I I do believe Connor is very genuine and he's not trying to deceive anyone or. Or anything like that. Like, I mean, we, we, I, man, I, we've been going almost 50 minutes and man, it's been a great conversation. Have we? Yeah. Oh God, really? <laughs> Time going wow, by fast. Fun to talk to. My goodness. Um, and so, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that the idea of just like a monogamous gay relationship just doesn't exist in the ancient world. So typically when we see references, in because I actually lied, I, I just, not on purpose, I deceived you a little bit. There are a few other references to homosexual acts in the Old Testament. They typically are, I think, in Judges and a few other places where essentially after the victory of the battle, um, men rape the men who lost. Uh, so essentially, there is no like concept of sleeping with a man in a way that is a co-equal, sustained monogamous healthy relationship in the old in the ancient world would would jesus have known about it well of course we have to say he would have yeah yeah which is funny that makes him the person who didn't talk about it chris <laughs> no i i think so this is what i tried to bring up on twitter the other day maybe maybe my point was missed with matthew 19 that jesus never speaks a word positively about a homosexual marriage but jesus does often talk about marriage and his view of marriage is never male to male or female to female. It's always one male, one one female. You know, this is what's in Matthew nineteen. Right, and we can go but through that hermeneutic- if you like. No, we can't. No, I understand. But like a hermeneutic would have to point to context, being that Jesus would have had to use the example at hand. They're like, no one would have known what the hell he was talking about if he was just like, I want to talk about the sacredness of marriage, whether you choose a dude or a woman, whatever. We just like, it wouldn't have made sense to the listeners. He, like we, we talk about teachers, teachers teach using the examples at hand, right? It's like, this annoys me. Oh crap. Luke 17, Luke 17. The fair, uh, the reason I mentioned Luke 17 is it's one of the times when Jesus quote unquote talks positively of the monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. And it annoys me when people use Luke 17 not because Christ doesn't have really valid points, but because the fact that he's addressing a single man with a single woman is solely because that's the exact context of the question the Pharisee asked him. The Pharisee specifically says, one man, one woman, and he's repeating back to them. So you can argue that like Jesus in his heart still thinks that's important, but not really from that text or not in a conclusive way from specifically the Luke 17 text, but it gets quoted all the time in a ways that I think is just like poor interpretation because you can't necessarily point to that element as being prescriptive when he's essentially parroting back a question that he didn't get to choose. Um, 
I think it's 17. Are you, I assume you're, I heard the typing. It's either 17 or 19. Um, I want to say it's 17. Again, people, I apologize. I did go through Christian training at a <laughs> Christian school for four years and, uh, I've been taking too many medical exams. I'm all, I'm familiar with the Matthew 19. So that might be what you're referring to rather than Luke was, uh, if you're referring to the text we, we discussed the other day, uh, but but did, cl- we, did we discuss it the other day? Briefly, briefly on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm sorry that I forgot. My brain no, you're is fine. Just... You you got a lot of other stuff you're worried about. <laughs> so I get it. But the reason why I refer to this. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that was the one I was thinking about. Okay. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the reason why I refer to this is Jesus. Yes. The question they do. They do. Uh, well, they are asking about um, the question just so we can have our listeners that we're both aware of the question they ask is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Um, and then Jesus refers back to Genesis, right. And discuss that God created in male and female and notice he gives, uh, you know, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So this man that's leaving his mother and fa- father, he, you know, he's coming from a, uh, heterosexual, you know, household. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, he says, and then that man's to hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh and yada, yada, yada. Right. They, they go on from there, but you, you say, okay, well, he's asking a question about, uh, divorcing a one's wife. Fair, fair enough. That's a, that's a fair point. But Jesus knew about people like you. He knew about people or, or he would know, right? Right. Jesus knows all things, course, right? No. He's, yeah, he's God, 100%. but he never speaks anything positive about this relationship that we're to believe is perfectly fine. Do you think that's problematic? There's not one positive thing to say. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think the question is fair. I won't dismiss you because I know people would try and dismiss you. I'll say the question is fair. Do I find the question convincing, given that he was speaking in the time and place he was, and then actually having to be recorded some fifty-four years later? Well, well, let's say, let's let's say outside of this text, right? Let's let's not make it only about Matthew nineteen. But oh, go ahead, yeah, yeah. But Jesus, Jesus knew. We we both agree there. So I'm 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 very grateful to hear you believe that Jesus knows all things, right? And <laughs> I. Hey, you, can you, I can I say this real quick? Go ahead. I, I, this this bugged me. So uh, you're a good faith person. I appreciate it. that's why we're here. Um, but there was a Pew Research poll I think last year um, that found that uh, they're pulling self-identified evangelicals in America that found 82% thought heterosexual. I'm sorry, homosexuality was sinful, and only 64% believed that Christ was divine. And I just. <laughs> desperately want to meet that 18 (laughs) percent to wonder look anyways go ahead (laughs) no i'm not shocked with these polls anymore it's 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 kind of cringy and bad but but even throughout the text this could have been even a good analogy for jesus to you know bring this point up and say by the way when i speak of marriage i'm not saying it only applies to male female but also male to male female female uh and maybe any other positive relationships that people say Jesus, you know, held to, but he never does. And he knew of people, you know, like you and like every homosexual relationship that would exist that people say is positive. 
Jesus never utters a positive word about it at all. So it definitely leads one to conclude that Jesus' view of marriage is what the Old Testament says, right? He was a good Jew, right? He was a faithful Jew. Uh, and that was the Old Testament view. And that seems to be his view that marriage is between male and a female. And then this is bonus points right here. Uh, this seems to conclude that Jesus also did not you know, have a lot of positive things about the transgender movement since he clearly goes back to the Genesis account where he says that man has created male and female. Right. He, he grounds it in creation. Right. And so that, that's just bonus points. But we, we, I'm sure we disagree there, too. I, I know we kind of had a brief discussion about transgender as well. But just for the moment, we'll, we'll, we can stay there unless you want to bring something up. But go ahead. Um, I, I always think that. I mean, the transgender argument is a little weak, really, textually. I mean, like it's it's a lot of extrapolating and it's also, you know, transgender people believe they're created either male or female. Well, they believe they're created, uh, you know, in the wrong gender, right? If, correct me if I'm wrong, but they will say... I'm, mm, I'm they, in... they believe they're created in a gender and that they're fighting to express that. Right. So they so they would say, even though they are male, they were created Gosh, male. that makes me sound so liberal. Oh <laughs> right. Even though um, they're created male, they're actually female as far as... Because they don't believe gender and sex are the same thing. They would well. Let's be fair to them because I think I believe in intellectual fairness. They believe that they were assigned a gender at birth that is Correct. not the gender they were created as. Fair enough. We we can dislike that opinion thoroughly, but in its fairest form, that is how they would say it. Sure, sure. But and then some would even argue. I would say many uh, would argue that gender is a social construct, which I don't believe that's Jesus's view. Um, and also that there are more than two genders as well. And that's definitely not Jesus's view. <laughs> you know, he only referred to people as male, female. There's no other gender. If, even if you want to, that, that, even that's a hard, <laughs> you know, thing to express, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that he only refers to people yeah. as male or female. There's, there's no other, you know. Yeah. No, the, the only reason I push back on the transgender issue is just to, first of all, I want to back up and I, I'm just... They're people. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The discussion of people who are transgender, some of whom are Christians in the church, and I will say that proudly in front of your listeners, some of whom will be mad at me, and that's okay. I love I love all your listeners. <laughs> and I truly, I hope I don't sound condescending. No, you, are awesome, no sure. you don't. Um, but the reason why the, that debate is difficult is, again, like I said, it's not, we don't have the same premise. Their premise is, Yes, they are created male or female. They are assigned incorrectly at birth. They are living out their creation, at which point there is no way to, from that premise, no way to biblically argue they're wrong. The only way to biblically argue they're wrong is to come from your premise, which is they were created as assigned at birth and they are fighting against creation. And you, um, you think that was Jesus's view? No, no. I'm yeah. All I'm trying to say is there... I don't think there's any way. I think it's worth us discussing a because neither of us are transgender. I think, and b, <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> and, and and hey, twenty twenty two, man, you never know. <laughs> b and b, both of you are essentially using the same text 
in the same way, just disagreeing about which gender they were created as. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. I I think we're using the same words, but we don't mean the same thing. Sure. Either way. Well, we'll stick to gay, maybe. Um, See, that's, that's, stay... the, that's the next combo I got to have. I got to have a transgender on to discuss some of these things. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately not me. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. But uh, I do want to pause briefly for, for your viewers, because I think it's worth when we have good faith discussions like this to acknowledge where things went right. Uh, so, like, I want to point out, like, I acknowledge Chris's question uh, as having significance, right? Jesus doesn't affirm gay marriage, right? He theoretically, the opportunity exists. We both believe in the divinity and omniscience of Christ. Um, so that's, that's a legitimate point. So Chris wins on that one, guys. Uh, so I want to make sure we're clear on that. And I'm not just like, scurrying past the point. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's I a think, valid point. I th- yeah, and I, I appreciate you actually, you know, considering it and, and hopefully ponder more on that, right? Not, it's, it's, by the way, Connor, not just a gotcha question. I'm not asking gotcha questions, and I don't think you have been either. I think your questions have been, you know, and, and I tell people like this: conservatives need to talk more to, uh, you know, people who don't think like them. Because I've learned stuff from liberals, and and you know, or or it's at the very least it better's your argument, you know. So, and if that helps you, then hey, great, right? Even if you don't accept what they're saying, but I, I do think it's something to consider strongly, right? Because you believe Jesus knows all things, right? He's omniscient. He's God in the flesh, right? Um, if that is the case, which we believe that's what the Bible clearly teaches adamantly, which, man, I'm actually very encouraged because many people who are, <laughs> this is no shot at you, gay affirming, don't really believe Jesus is divine and knows all things. Really, what you actually hear is Jesus, I mean, I'm going to say this a little more, blunt than they would but jesus was an ignorant jew just like many at that time was and so he didn't know about these things you know he didn't know about uh you know uh you know gender identity and all all these things right and so um but the fact that you believe no actually he did he's he's god in the flesh right uh he he knows all things um surely he should have been able to speak something positive about this if he believed it was a positive acceptable relationship just like uh you know heterosexual even if it's not the norm you know jesus is if jesus was an ignorant jew our lives are just really sad (laughs) i've i have heard people speak about jesus in that way no i'm sure i wasn't questioning it no jesus jesus was a you know like i said talk about losing winning the battle and losing the war (laughs) i know that's that's actually a very good way of uh phrasing that um but the reason why we're we're here connor the reason why i i I, man i'm so glad that you came on is man i i don't have any hate towards you i i I know i i know for a lot of people the fact that you disagree with homosexuality you get called bigoted and all sorts of you know pejoratives for hate um, but I, I don't hate you. I'm not fearful. I, you know, man, I would love to have a conversation again. You know, um, I got a friend in Detroit, so Hey, maybe I'll be up there one day. We get, we can grab lunch, man, you know, hang out. I, I don't have now for some, some conservatives, they might place visit. Yeah. Some conservatives might be that way. And so I don't, I, I don't represent all con- conservatives just like you don't represent all 
gay affirming people. So I think that's important to say. But man, the reason why I do think this is important because of what is said in First Corinthians six nine, um, Romans one, uh, you know, Titus as well, or First Timothy uh, as well. This act is condemned by our Lord and Savior. And if that is his view, if he does not speak positively about it at the very minimal, then it's not something we should be pursuing. Um, it, it's a, this is a question I'll often ask people if they're saying something I deem either the Bible doesn't teach or, um, you know, yeah, just that something that I believe that I was like, does your Lord and Savior, who is all knowing God in the flesh, believe that? And if your question is, I don't know or no, then you shouldn't be pursuing it, you know? And so that, you know, our goal as Christians, right? Christ like little Christ, we should want to believe what, uh, what Jesus has said. There's a famous theologian, uh, who's dead now, but Gerhardus Voss. And when he has a famous phrase that I really like that we, that Christians essentially are to think God's thoughts after him. Right. And I think that's such a brilliant phrase. Think God's thoughts after him, because ultimately what he's getting at is. Right. God is the originator of what is true. Right. Uh, Everything that is true, factual comes from him. And Christians should be reflecting that as image bearers being restored in the image of Christ. Right. And so uh, we only want our desire should be only to uh, believe what Jesus believed and do what Jesus did and at the same time, we reflect that we're sinners and we fail miserably at that all the time. But that should be our goal and our aim. Right. And so hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> and it sounded like you were agreeing totally with that. So, amen. Yeah, I would say. Um, not that we were debating, but if I had to have a closing statement, <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be. Uh, I guess let me in kind of 60 seconds. Go ahead. What does the affirming argument look like? Since I think we've like debated back and forth and I just want to kind of glue it together a little bit now that we've dissected. Um, the affirming argument is that Sodom and Romans 1 are depictions of heterosexual access turned homosexual. Again, obviously can be disagreed with. Uh, Levitical law is largely looking at a culture where the only purpose of male-male sex is either excess or rape. Uh, typically we see, like, we actually see some of God's people raping in a homosexual way after conquests in the old Testament. Uh, and then interestingly, the way they deal with the two Pauline texts varies. One is by dissecting what is he actually saying in the Greek, which we did a little bit. And then two is one I'm purposely mentioning because I know it's going to drive you nuts. It's not, not just to troll you, but, um, (laughs) because I listened to your episode with, uh, with the pastor that you sent me and, and you can inform your viewers of his name. I apologize. I forget, but you know, which one you sent me. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, I think freaked you out a little bit when he said he, uh, <laughs> he worships Christ and tolerates Paul. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that that freaked people out because that was actually the cohesive, um, winning view of the 1920s major theologic battle in what was originally in the Presbyterian church and then moved across all of American denominations. It was considered the conservatism modernism debate. Uh, and frankly, the modernists won 
and I say, and let me define what winning means. Winning means that they can, they um, came to convince the ruling powers of every major seminary in the U.S. at the time. And then what happened was those the uh, conservatives who disagreed um, had to make essentially start from scratch. So that's why Fuller was founded at that time. That's why Westminster Theological Seminary was founded at that time. Um, so I just want to point out that there was a time in church history where the views being expressed there in, in that debate between you and that pastor, uh, where his views were, were in fact the dominant of the Christian church in the West. Yeah. Um, I, I would, and I think uh... that's important to validate and acknowledge that just because maybe it feels cringy to us now. And the reason why it's important is we need to understand that what is the New Testament? The New Testament is a collection of canonical texts ordained by St. Athanasius in the fourth century. Look that up for your viewers. I mean, I know you know, I'm saying they can look it up. Um, I, I wouldn't agree with that though, but go ahead. Okay. Um, that's interesting. We'll talk about that in a second then. <laughs> uh, so that's what it is. And it's a, or that's what I'm claiming it is. Let me be fair. I want to, yeah. So that's what I would say it is. Uh, and it's largely made up of Pauline epistles, uh, which is problematic in my view, because based on Luke's acts of the apostles, we know that Paul is a very complicated character who is at times severely wrong. We can look at the way he treats Mark alone as a way of how he's quite wrong. Uh, and we see that the best and most critical decisions of the early church are made when Paul is being pushed back on, not saying that Paul has to be wrong for good decisions to be made, but the best decisions are made out of things like the Council of Jerusalem, which is in Acts 12. It goes past Acts 12, but starts there. That's when they uh, allow Gentiles into the church and uh, without certain prescriptions of the Torah. And what's important, why I'm ending there, and then I'll, I'll let you take the floor and end out whatever you want to say, um, is the argument to let Gentiles into the church without strict adherence to the Torah is the testimony of numerous apostles, specifically Peter, of the presence of the Holy Spirit descended into their lives. And I think it's important to ask yourselves, when you're looking at someone like me, and I understand this is hard to do on Twitter, when you look at someone like Connor, uh, do you see the presence of the Holy Spirit lived out in their lives? Because we know from Christ's words that fruit comes from trees that that fruit belongs to. There's no such thing as uh, deceptively good fruit from a bad tree or deceptively bad fruit from a good tree. Uh, we don't believe that. Our Lord and Savior, who's omniscient, didn't preach that way. Uh, and then the final thing, and I'll let you, well, let me, my last thing has nothing to do with theology, so maybe go ahead. I have a non-theological thing at the end. No, no, go ahead, because I'm, 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 I'm trying to write down some things so I can remember to address okay. them. So yeah, go ahead with this one. Yeah, so my non-theological thing and kind of my point of coming on here, uh, and Chris would never do this, never has done this, um, but uh, there are Christian conservatives, there are many Christian conservatives who have their own faithful conscience about uh, my attraction. Very fine. There are Christian conservatives who I daily interact with who speak with hatred and bigotry and uh i'm not going to use the word many but they exist and i want to urge those 
everywhere um, to push back on that. I've, I've been called a child molester to my face because I'm doing pediatrics in medical school. Uh, for the record, I help uh, children recover from molestation. I help them after their suicide attempts because they've been raped. Uh, it's part of my job. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And um, it's not okay. It's, you know, it's fine if your conscience makes you question did I really read my Bible the right way? That's fine. Um, but I let's all mirror Chris and Connor tonight when we go forward uh, in in engaging each other process. But anyways, that was all I had to say. Yeah, no, that I would I would agree with that sentiment that we should be respectful no matter where we are, and we don't have to make assumptions about one's. Uh, Things we don't know, right? I mean, there's no one, no way someone even know that about you. So I, I obviously wouldn't agree it's a, with... It's a common slur yeah. that gets used against gay people. But. Yeah. Um, so I, I just deal with the argument itself rather than assumptions about... F funny enough, on my channel, I get a lot of people assuming my motives. So I'm sympathetic to that, to what you just said. So um, I don't like when people assume my motives because there's no way they can know them. Um, unless I come out clearly say, Hey, look, I'm doing this for money. Don't accuse me for doing it for money. Right. And so I, I understand. Um, you said something earlier about the, you know, uh, kind of the argument I had with that pastor, um, about this, that was kind of the dominant view in the 1920s. Um, you know, you have uh, German higher critical learning coming out where liberalism was dominating. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely why you had a lot of seminaries like uh, Westminster started even funny enough many people don't know this but schools like Princeton were theologically conservative uh, Bible believing uh, when they first started uh, not so much now but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I would agree that yeah that that has been the dominant view at one point but just because it's the dominant view doesn't make it right because shortly after the Council of Nicaea many people started to deny the deity of Christ and so transport ourselves back at the time of ironically you mentioned Athanasius Athanasius uh he stated that uh oh man uh, Athanasius contra mundum is the is the fa the famous Latin phrase right Athanasius against the world because he stated that he looked up one day and the whole world had gone Arius Arian meaning and so just because something is a dominant view does not make it the right view and I, I think you would agree with that sentiment um you stated about uh you know the Jerusalem. i would but i would say it dictates that it's not a nefarious or like people will try and act like this is like the work of satan it's not the work of satan to hold the view that was dominant in the 1920s uh I, it's a, I think an honest disagreement amongst christians I, I i would say we would have to go to the text the bible to 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 know if the dominant view is a work of satan or not a work of satan i think to deny the to go to my point, I think it is a, uh, you know, a, um, what do you call a work of Satan to deny the deity of Christ. And so, um, you know, at that point, even though the majority of the world would, would, uh, would have been, <laughs> uh, although arguably Wayne Grudem does and Wayne Grudem's on your side. He denies the deity of Christ. People would argue I, he does I, because I have a he and the I know. And if you read it, that's where he fund. that's where he creates the idea of the eternal subordination of the sun. So, yes. Yeah, so one can argue, uh, 
that's a whole nother issue, but he does not come out and deny the deity of Christ. Right? I understand but, that, but his critics would argue he does. So just, yeah. Yes. So to, sure. to be fair to, to be sure. fair to, to Pastor Grudem, he, he does not officially do that. Right. So, yeah. So you, so you also made an argument about uh, Acts 15, like, you know, the mm-hmm. spirit leading them, them in that, in that, um, in their view, right. The Gentiles will be accepted. Kind of why can't the, the spirit do the same? Well, I think there's a major difference because Acts 15 is not just led by the spirit, but also prophetic um, utterances giving in the, from the, uh, from the old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. Oh let yeah. Me, of course. Let me, yeah. That, that the Gentiles would be, th- this was ultimately what I'm saying is th- it was no surprise to those reading the Bible that God would accept the Gentiles. This was, this was the common, this was the plan of God from the, from the beginning. Uh, this is why the Jews were, were to be the light to the other nations. Uh, and so God's accepting them in into the, the new covenant. Yeah. That, that's, that's no big shocker. And so ultimately what, what I'm ultimately trying to get at is that the council was rooted in scripture. It was rooted in what God has already said, not, not some new thing that never, wow, we're, we're totally shocked that God is accepting Gentiles. Um, th- that is not my view of that, of what happened at that council. And so, yeah, to, to add though, I wasn't my view either. Okay. What I was trying to point out was that, um, the clincher of how many rules do we have to, cause the whole point of, for the viewers of the council is like, how many rules they all agreed Gentiles were coming in at some point that was known. It was what rules they have to follow. Do they have to convert to Judaism is essentially the question of the council. You're right. And the, what I was trying to say is Peter's kind of clinching argument is that's not possible because I already watched the fire of the Holy spirit descend upon them before they converted to Judaism. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, and, and, and that's why you brought up the issue of fruit. Well, if they have good fruit, then it's, it's seemingly Christian or it's uh, approved of God. Right. Um, well, even that has to be examined because mm-hmm. we can take this to other religions. Um, Muslims seemingly do nice things. Jehovah's witness give to the poor Mormons are some of the most kindest people I know, uh, in the face of even adversity, oftentimes, uh, getting door slammed on in and puddles as they drive by on their bikes. But yet, they they serve a different god because they are polytheists right specifically the mormons right not not the other two i mentioned but so so when it comes to fruit even that has to be examined in light of what scripture says about it and so i i don't deny that you're a kind person that people who aren't christians do kind things that that seem to exhibit that that's hey that's some good fruit there but ultimately we have to examine that in light of what scripture says as a whole and so that's that's one of the arguments I would make as well for for not not just to say, OK, well, they do nice things. Therefore, we should we should accept them. Well, if that's the case, then we should accept Mormons into the Christian church or or even atheists for that matter. Right. They, they should be able to come up there in the pulpit. Right. And start preaching because, hey, they seemingly have good fruit. I think you would uh, push back on some of that, you know, if uh, you know, trying to be consistent. But so that's why I would say that. But. But ultimately, man, my, my heart is for you, man. I, I don't have any animosity. You know, this, will me- this will mess up your with your viewers. Do you know who actually thought that, though? The, the view you just uh, pushed back on? Understandably. Who, who is that? C.S. Lewis. I, actually I, writes extensively. I'm not shocked. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big yeah. fan of C.S. Lewis, by the way. Uh, That's fine. A lot of conservatives are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so, but um, 
Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted. You were coming to something. No, you're no, you're good. Uh, but man, I, I I'm just someone uh, you know, that just believes the Bible as best as I can. Um, and just trying to be consistent with all of Scripture, right? Not just you'll probably appreciate this part. Uh, uh, not just our favorite text, right? Like, you, you know how it is in evangelicalism. People generally only know a couple verses um, and that's their little devotional, right? But me trying to apply all of scripture, uh, sola scripture and tota scripture, right? Uh, all of scripture uh, and what it says and not just apply it to you, but myself as well. Right. If I was out here living an adulterous lifestyle, I would have to apply the same same level of judgment upon myself. Right. Or I I have. Hey, look, I have friends. I have family members who are living contrary to the word of God and they want me to they want me to affirm them as Christians. And I'm like, biblically, I cannot. You're out here living with your girlfriend, having sex. You know, I, I can't do it. And so, you know, and it's not that I'm just trying to be the the uh, the Holy Spirit detector but i do believe jesus says we can know them by we can know them you're you're absolutely right and by people's fruit they make it known if they are of the lord um or not now obviously it can be difficult at some cases and that's not to say if someone was struggling with an act uh that they could not be a, a christian right christians can struggle with sin that's absolutely the, the case uh, but the issue is, do we identify with this sin or do we, by the spirit, by the power of God, I love that you mentioned the spirit, uh, do we attempt to kill it, mortify its desires? Uh, John Owen has a book, Kills in, uh, Killing Sin, right? Kill sin or sin will be killing you. Uh, I love that phrase because uh, it's so true. Um, but we do not accept the, the or identify with what I believe scripture uh, calls central behaviors where whether that's you know i don't call i cannot by biblical conscience say i'm a um, adulterous christian now i know that sounds funny but there's because there's not necessarily a movement trying to push that but there is with homosexuality and and lgbtq stuff but if someone was calling themselves an adulterous christian we would have to reject that movement because the bible clearly uh uh, condemns that act. And so I know I'm being long with to here, but, uh, uh, it's, it's your show. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, but man, I, I will say this, man, I, Connor, I, I enjoy talking with you thoroughly. And, and I hope that at the very least what we've done for, for people watching, even if they still stay right. If people from, from your side watch or my side watch what, what mostly they'll see is that, you know, you could, we could, these conversations can be had and, and should be had and they can be had even right with both sides vehemently disagreeing in a respect, respectful manner. No one cursed each other out. No one called anyone insults. We were honest with what we believed, right? We weren't, we didn't uh, lower our beliefs, right? We didn't soften the blow, so to speak, but it was still respectful. And man, I, I actually have thoroughly appreciated this conversation and I hope more like this can happen. Hey, maybe now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, more will happen. <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> Fair enough. I will say you always know you've won across, I almost said cross-cultural. We'll go with cross-cultural. Maybe LGBTQs. I don't know. Cross something. <laughs> you always know you've won that when both teams' commenters are mad at us for being too nice to each other. Yeah. I often have that happen. <laughs> So hopefully, yeah. hopefully, hopefully 
all the viewers uh don't do that hopefully they appreciate yeah absolutely and like i said so i appreciate you coming on man we'll, we'll have to we'll stay in touch man and uh we'll, we'll we'll keep conversing sounds good you have a great night man you too now that the interview is over i would love to hear your thoughts about how you thought the interview went like i said uh, i thought connor was very respectful very nice obviously we disagreed I do believe there are some things that I brought up, um, believing, uh, especially Jesus' view of homosexuality, this topic. We should believe what Jesus believed on every subject, right? That should be our goal. We should be striving for that. And also, we should not be identifying with sin. I hope these things gave Connor some things to think about. Maybe if you're uh, agreeing with his position, I hope it gave you some things to think about. I hope it helped you as a Christian to know what you believe and argue from full confidence and assurity from the scriptures. Hope this was helpful. To the next time, y'all, grace and peace. Everybody, everybody.